Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Dever, and today I am joined by Brett Cowett of BP Boston. He is the managing editor there. Brett, how's it going? It's going good. We're trying to survive with no water up here in Seattle, which is the weirdest occurrence I've ever had. Yeah, that, those are two things that you don't typically put together in the same sentence, no water in Seattle. So what the hell's going on? We haven't had rain for at least a couple months, and then we have uh, a lot of wildfire smoke coming down from Canada that's not really being blocked by anything. It's just filling up the sound. So uh, it's just kind of hot, dry, and muggy. Well, that sounds unpleasant, but what is pleasant is the last week of Red Sox baseball, um, which is awesome. So we'll talk about that today. Uh, Red Sox currently have a seven-game win streak, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Brett, but this is the longest such streak of the season, isn't it? It is. Uh, I think the last, I think the longest one they had before then, I think might have been four, four or five. I can't, I can't place it, but uh, it's, it feels, it's they haven't lost a game in a week. It feels good. It feels great. Yeah, it certainly does, and uh, I think we we have a lot to talk about because we didn't bring a show to you guys last week and um that was when we had evangelic on right before the deadline so we've got deadline additions to talk about today we've got that amazing 12 to 10 win over cleveland that spurred this whole uh seven game win streak and and more apparently because it's still not over so we'll see how that finishes up tonight but we've got a lot to talk about but let's uh let's get right into the trade deadline stuff first um the red sox made some additions um, some that were, you know, kind of underwhelming at the time that they were made. They brought up Rafael Devers. I think you can count that as a, as an addition to the team. Um, you know, I don't know how much we were expecting a 20-year-old to come up and succeed, but he's obviously gone above and beyond what we thought. Uh, they acquired Eduardo Nunez for uh, Sean Anderson and another small piece. Um, and then they went out and got Addison Reed for a few minor leaguers as well. Um, what did you make of the trade deadline? What was your initial thought when they did those three things? And we saw the Yankees do what they did. Um, and then how do you feel about it now, you know, nine days later? Um, compared to what the Yankees did, there's a lot less risk in what they did. They traded a bunch of just – like lottery ticket guys, low minors guys that they don't think will affect them all that much for Eduardo Nunez and uh, Aston Reed. And 
Reed is basically the perfect pitcher for what the Red Sox are doing with pitching lately. They're, he's efficient. He doesn't walk a lot. He throws a bunch of strikes, and he strikes out a fair bit. He's really good reliever. He people think still think he's a fly ball pitcher, but he started converting more and more to ground balls. Like now, it's a forty. He's got a forty percent ground ball rate. So I'm really happy to see him. He throws hard and everything. It's 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 what you want in a reliever. Uh, I was with Evan Drellich with. Uh, with the Nunez acquisition, I thought it was underwhelming and don't tell the San Francisco beat writers about that, but um, I thought it was underwhelming, but he's come here and now he's going to have his number retired. So it's, it's, it's been, an, it's been kind of amazing seeing him, co- seeing him come to uh, Boston and light up the world. But like, as Cam Ellis wrote today, just a bit more hard contact in a park that is not like a, is not the most pitcher friendly park in the majors. will do that for you. So so far, I kind of, I really kind of like what they did, and having Devers up, I mean, I thought he should have been up like a month earlier because there was nothing to lose at third base. There, you could, the offensive, the offensive bar set there was so low this year that anything would have worked at that point. So, it's all those, all those moves have so far turned out right, and honestly, that's. It's weird. The, it's weird saying the Red Sox kind of needed that to happen, but they were look they were looking like sticks in the mud coming up until they started doing all that stuff. So it's really good that it's worked out, and now the seven game win streak's kind of shown out. Yeah, you know, um, my feeling when the trade deadline ended was like, all right, that's it. Like that's what you're gonna do here with this club. Mm-hmm. Um, and I put up a quick little poll on my Twitter account. Uh, and ask simply, like, who do you think is going to win the division now that the trade line has ended and Tampa Bay, New York, and Boston have added what they added? And the results came back, and the majority of people said that uh, they thought the Yankees would win. And I think that that was sort of the the overwhelming feeling coming out of the deadline is, look, the Red Sox are sliding a little bit, and the Yankees just added all this stuff, and Mm -hmm. all we did was add these two guys. But I think that... One of the things that we might have discounted, and I think Cam spells this out uh, in his article today too, is what Nunez really was going to mean to this club in terms of what he brings to the clubhouse. Uh, he's got a reputation for being a really good clubhouse guy, um, mm-hmm. and I think that they certainly needed that with all of the uh, the tumult around the, the, the clubhouse at that exact period of time when that was happening. And then should we have seen this addition uh, as being a little bit more potent offensively considering the park factors that were hampering uh, n- not only Nunez, all the players in San Francisco, but specifically it seems like Nunez's swing was um, made for uh, being hampered by that ballpark and should we have kind of been able to predict uh, more success from him than, than we did? C- clearly not what what he's doing now, but I think there were some signs that he was going to be a better offensive player here. Uh, a little bit. Um, he never was like a truly breakout offensive performer. He had he had decent power. Uh, he could run a little bit. I mean, he stole forty bases last year. Jeez, but um, his real his real value came in the versatility. And it was kind of like a Brock Holt type of versatility where he could play anywhere around the infield. I certainly didn't expect what he was going to do here. Uh, he was always kind of a contact-happy, uh, wasn't going to take a lot of pitches type of guy. But him being able to just barrel the ball a lot more often here has kind of turned my expectations around. Because uh, we've seen him play. We saw him play on the Yankees for so long, and the, he kind of floundered with the Twins for a while. And, like, nothing – he was at, – at his highest before this year, he was barely over a league average player offensively. And then he had that year in 2016 where he he had 16 homers, 40 steals, and still was barely over league average. And then he comes he, he and then he has a pretty decent season in San Francisco, even though the park's kind of hampering him. But he comes to Fenway, and all of a sudden everything's going his way. Like it's not even Fenway. It's weird, weirdly enough because last night he still he went like three for three with two doubles. Every he's hitting everything, and he's hitting everything with actual authority. So I don't know if it's just a change in the Red Sox coming here with their with their very contact oriented offense or it's just or it might just be the park or or a uh, change of scenery but something really i think something really has changed with them and for the red sox they're reaping the benefits yeah it's certainly nice to see and it's 
It's easy to uh, forget, though, that when we saw him with the Yankees, which is obviously a good hitting environment, too, there in Yankee Stadium, that was 2011. So that was, you know, nearly six years and change ago. Um, Maybe a little bit more if I'm doing my math incorrectly. Um, But he was certainly a different player at at age 23, 24 than he is now as a hitter at age 30. And he's played... You know, his last two stops, like you mentioned, in Minnesota and the Giants, which are pretty suppressive ballparks offensively. So yeah. I think there is something something to be said just with that. But I think you're right. I mean, there's there's something clicking that hasn't been clicking before, and it's been the, the jolt that this team needed. But I think maybe the more interesting offensive player, though, has been Rafael Devers and what he's been able to do since he got here. He's a very different offensive player than I think I was expecting. You know, I'd read countless scouting reports about Devers and always knew that he was somebody who used all fields well, but I didn't really know just how much. Like, the guy just doesn't pull balls very often. He's very fascinating. Um, He's got that excellent exit velocity, but still uses the whole ballpark like like you'd expect from a veteran player. So it's been really interesting watching him. What have your first impressions been of Devers? Um, he is, I don't, it's kind of weird how unselfish he is at the plate. He's not going to look to pull the ball at all. He's always, he, if he can go the other way, he'll go the other way. And when he came up and started raking, the whole comparisons came out between, oh, wow, the Red, the Red Sox are right in keeping him over Moncada. But the thing is, Moncada's thing is that he has like four and a half tools, the half being his hit tool. And that's always going to be the most glaring when Moncada whiffs all the time. Like we saw him on the Red Sox. Like he's kind of doing on the White Sox. Like there's, he has a lot of whiffs and bendy pitches still confuse him. Devers always had a better hit tool than Moncada. So seeing this almost as a step to what we saw from Moncada last year, it's it's kind of refreshing. And seeing it at third base is amazing. And Devers was just a damn good hitter in the minors. Like there, there's nothing, there's nothing, there are no bad marks on his resume from the minor leagues. He was just such a good hitter at every level. It would just and even after like a hundred at a hundred at bats, he'd still crush something to the tune of like a like a uh, three seventy four OBP for four eighty slugging like he had in uh, rookie ball. So it was even if he didn't defend well, his hitting would be so good. And him being so unselfish with the ball, going the other way all the time, not being willing to pull it all the time, it's it's a really it's really good starting out because if you have that kind of plate coverage and you're willing to do that. Stuff like sliders, stuff, anything that drops on the outside part of the plate won't affect you as much, and you won't be whiffing over the top of them as much. That was kind of the thing with Will Middlebrooks is that he didn't really like going the other way all that much, and he always looked to pull, and he would always swing over sliders. But with Diverse, he'd always try to go with it or lay them off because he's so good at knowing where that strike zone is. He's so good with that with that uh, batter's eye. It's it's almost kind of refreshing seeing a guy 20 years old come up and have that type of discipline at the plate, and it's just another. Just, just another amazing product, the Red Sox farm system. Yeah, it really is. And um, you know, to give you to give the listeners out there an idea of just how um, he's putting the ball in play right now and how unique that is. His pull percentage currently is only twenty two point two percent. He's hitting the ball up the middle about forty one point seven percent of the time, and he's going opposite field thirty six point one percent of the time. Uh, that's crazy for a young player to have such a low pull rate. And while he's doing that, he has a 38.9% hard contact rate, uh, which is among the higher marks in the league. So all of that combined is just super impressive right there. I don't think we're going to see quite this this uh, type of opposite field um, preference from him as, as the years go on because when you look at his minor league numbers, he's about a 40% pull guy. Uh, 25% or so up the middle, and then 30-ish, a little bit over 30-ish percent to opposite field. But I think that he's going to be one of these guys that for his entire career really kind of spreads the ball out all over the field. It, it certainly seems like that part of his game is is very sustainable. Yeah, it's it's. I won't say refreshing again. I think I've kind of run that word into the dirt. But it's seeing a guy come up and already have this type of hit tool with the power behind it. It's I don't know. It's just fun. Like I was I was blessed enough to see his first home run over in Safeco, and that was like at first you're like, oh wow, he, he kind of hit that hard. That's gonna be a flyout. And then the center fielder turning turns his back, and you're like, oh my god, he hit it that far. It's having that hit tool and combined with that type of power. 
it's it's fun to watch and it's something the Red Sox sorely needed at the hot corner. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's fair to say that this type of a bat, um, clearly the Red Sox knew this to be the case, but is a better and bigger addition than anything that they could have gotten on the open market. And that's not to say that Devers is going to maintain his 949 OPS throughout the rest of the year. I think that would be um, pretty shocking for any rookie to be able to do that. But I think it's fair to say that he's going to be at least in the 800s for the rest of the year based on what we've seen so far and what the batted ball data is telling us. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt that. He's got he's his speed's okay, but he's hitting stuff so hard and and he's hitting a bunch of grounders and grounders are going to give you a bit of an inflated batted and just start and start pushing up that OPS in general. So it's it, we can see that and the and this actually worked a lot uh Devers kind of seemed his call up kind of seemed like it was in response to how bad the third base market got. Uh, a lot of the teams that had viable third basemen were either taken, which was from the White Sox to the Yankees, or they thought they could be close to contenders with the Royals and Mustakis. And I don't think the Pirates are too far out of the wild card either, but you never know. Um, so it's his call up, I think, was a response to that and. You said it right. It was the best. It was probably the best addition around the trade deadline that the Red Sox could have gotten, because they just needed anybody who could hit at third base, and they got a twenty-year-old who is basically who is like wielding the hottest stick in the hottest stick in the organization right now, outside of Eduardo Nunez. Yeah, it's uh, it's awesome, and it's really fun to sit here and look at the depth chart for the Red Sox, which is what I'm currently doing right now and looking (laughs) around that infield and being like, all right, so we have Devers at third. He's going to be there for the next 10 years. Uh, We have Xander who I hope they lock up until he's dead at that position at shortstop. Um, Pedroia who's going to be there for a really long time. And then you look at that outfield and all three of those guys are going to be there for a long time. It's really like first base and catcher are the only two positions that in the next 10 years you really want to think about anybody playing those positions that's not already on the field right now. Yeah, and I mean the one guy you think that would be the heir to the catcher position would be Swihart if he can if his joints can stop exploding, but um it's in first base you can just fill in with any really good hitter that has no defensive spectrum. So it, it's we're it's almost there. Like the Red Sox have such a young core, and it's going to take a lot of money to keep them there, obviously. But the future's there, especially for catcher. And even if Swihart doesn't really show up, I don't think the Red Sox really lose anything by having Christian Vasquez get the majority of games behind the plate, considering what he's done lately. Yeah, Christian Vasquez has been awesome behind the plate, uh, as long as he's not cr- catching Chris Sale, which we saw <laughs> in that uh, game against the Indians that we'll talk about soon. Um, but really his bat has been coming along too. So it's been awesome. And you just don't, as a, as a base runner run on the Red Sox, uh, catchers anymore. It's just, uh, it's foolhardy at this point, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, they got, they, who they, uh, what was it last weekend, a couple weekends ago, they got Terrence Gore and Lorenzo Cain in the same game. Yeah. That Terrence Gore one was amazing because oh. that guy has, um, hilariously produced like almost all of his value as a major leaguer uh, on the base path. So I think while I was listening to that that broadcast, they said something like he has no hits, but he has scored like X number of runs. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> makes no sense at all. Because Terrence Gore, I mean, he's he's been a name for years now since since Tampa Bay has. I'm sorry, since the Royals have been, uh, you know, a, a good team and made those back-to-back World Series. We've been hearing about Terrence Gore, and it's just hilarious that he's literally used for no other reason. I can't think of another player uh, in Major League Baseball who is used so exclusively as a runner like Terrence Gore. Yeah, no, he's he's pretty much the extreme bench runner, p- bench pinch runner that the extreme example of that that you always see. Yeah, it's kind of him. Him being thrown out is kind of like uh, the Red Sox catchers picking a fight with the biggest person in the bar and just beating them up, and then just being <laughs> like, "Listen, guys, this is an example. Don't do this." <laughs> then the guy, what was it? It was Lorenzo's Cain. Lorenzo Cain got caught stealing for the first time all season. Yep. Like, oh my god, that was 
the moment those two things happen in one game, you're just like, you can't lose this game at this point. You've done so many improbable things. That how how can you possibly lose this? And then they win on a was it was it a drop third strike or something? I can't, it was something ridiculous, like a pass ball. It was oh my god. My baseball brain doesn't go that far back, but yeah, I think you're right. It was some silly circumstance, but um, yeah, it's it's awesome. I mean, it's crazy how much. So from week to week recording this show, you get you get all the swings that come with that particular week. And like the last time we were on was the 28th, so just days before the deadline. Oh. And everything was just so low at that point because the Red Sox were in a complete funk. Um, the Yankees had been stockpiling all these players and leading up to them inevitably getting Sonny Gray. Um, and everybody was feeling really down. And now, like... Woo, like everybody's feeling great again. And people are talking about how this is possibly uh, Dave Dombrowski's greatest deadline. And I think uh, one of the reasons why is because the returns for these particular players that uh, the Red Sox gave up to get Nunez, to get Reed, um, they weren't substantial. Like there, there was a lot of depth given up. There were a lot of guys who were in danger of being picked uh, in the Rule 5 draft, guys that would have had to have been protected uh, Jamie Callahan is one of those. Uh, both of those international guys that were taking the two international pitchers uh, would have been threats, or at least one of them would have been a threat to be taken. I think it was the one who was in the uh, trade for Reed, uh, flamethrowing young guy. Um, but, you know, they dealt from a position of strength, which is minor league relievers. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and they got their guys. And then uh, on top of this, uh, Eno Saris at Fangraphs just recently did an article kind of projecting out for the rest of the year uh, the, the relievers that were traded at the deadline. So he looks at Tony Singrani, David Hernandez, Jeremy Jeffress, Brandon Kinsler, uh, Addison Reed, Joe Smith, Tony Watson, and Justin Wilson. And he makes the conclusion by the end of his article that Addison Reed is likely to deliver the best baseball performance on the field over the remainder of the year. So that is awesome. Especially yeah. considering what was given up for some of these other guys. Exactly. Like I, Reed has always kind. Of, at least in the last couple of years, Reed has kind of been an underrated reliever. He was all. He really became super efficient. Like he didn't walk a lot, and he started striking out a ton. And I mean, pitching in the Mets ballpark also helps. But hey, um, it's a, he. The connection when the connection started pointing at him, I really kind of enjoyed that. I thought they'd get Lucas Duda in that before the. Uh, before the race swooped in but the red sox kind of have a when it comes to like top prospects they kind of have a top heavy system like before devers got called up you had him you had you had grom and you had a bunch of guys that were kind of almost there and nobody was really in the high minors other than devers and then you have a and most of their strength is in the low minors and you still got to project a bunch for that so the red sox had a lot of depth in terms of just pitching that they could pawn off that wasn't that weren't going to be starters and to just get to just like get all this value and ship out so so much little perceived value that it, like it's not a lot of moves but Dombrowski really kind of did well like even if even if like uh Nunez cools down and just is an average player from now on it's still better it's still a better bench bat than what the Red Sox had and that's that's an obvious improvement i mean Reed's probably going to take the 8th inning role uh, barring another weird home run he gives up, um, and just de- and I mean Devers looks to just run away at the third base position, and I, I I don't know I mean it just feels like this it just feels so out of character for Dombrowski, but it but he did so well. Yeah, he really did. When the, when the best player you give up to get these guys is Sean Anderson, uh, you are doing just fine. Sean Anderson is no walk to be a starter, like you said in the big leagues. So that's excellent. Um, And I think that the Nunez acquisition is cool for a few different reasons. You know, it's obviously cool that he's been the best hitter in baseball for the last week. Um, That is so, so unexpected. And especially it's, (laughs) it's really cool that he's doing that at a time where um, Todd Frazier has one extra base hit for the Yankees and is batting like under 200 uh, for his time there. So that's extra hilarious to me. Um, but 
it's so necessary when you look at this roster. You look at a guy like Mookie Betts, who has gotten, I believe, one day off, like the entire season. Uh, Dustin Pedroia, who had just come back from the DL uh, yesterday as a DH. Um, so he's obviously someone who's going to need rest days. Uh, Hanley mm-hmm. Ramirez has been banged up all year. Uh, Xander <laughs> Bogarts, we all know, could use some rest uh, in these upcoming weeks. But what Nunez does is it just allows their offense not to really struggle at all while spelling these guys and making sure that everybody down the stretch gets the rest that they need. And that's just super important. Exactly. And it's a good thing they gave Bogarts the rest he needs because he went three for four last night. He's, I, he is the one, he might be the most polarizing perform, he might, might be the polarizing performer on the Red Sox since he never looks like he has any control of the, of the strike zone. But he will get hits like nobody's business. And when he's hot, it's all. When he's hot, you don't really notice it. But when he's bad, he's bad. And it's good to finally see him get that hit streak going. I think he's like eight or nine games now. Uh, get like a three, get a three-hit game against a particularly tough pitching staff. So having him and everybody else get rest, especially with Pedroia's bad knee, Hanley's bad everything, and it, it's giving them an at the actual utility and offense production that Brock Holt really couldn't this year is something they've really sorely needed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you make an interesting point about Xander Bogarts, and I think that it's kind of funny watching him because he looks so bad sometimes, like just terribly, terribly bad. But then when you actually dig into the data a little bit and you look at how pitchers pitch Xander Bogarts, um, they pitch him like he's the best hitter on the Red Sox offense. Yeah. Like he gets pitched I don't I don't know if I want to say even more uh, carefully than Mookie Betts, but it's like everything that they throw him is outside of the zone and off speed. You know, they no one ever challenges him inside. So clearly pitcher's view of Xander Bogarts is the all star starter from last year that, you know, ended up with 21 home runs and you know 300 batting average um that is the player that opposing pitchers think he is so this guy really doesn't ever get a break when he gets up to the plate and um you know bogarts is still just 24 like uh, he's having a a down year for him yeah you can't tell me that one of these years before he turns 30 like maybe even a couple of them he's gonna just have like a 30-100 type season, I feel like. I think he's going to bat 300, hit 30 home runs, and have 100 RBIs one of these years. He's, yeah, he's going to have one of those Jacoby Ellsbury years that seemingly comes out of nowhere, but with Bogarts, there's actual there's actually something there, unlike Ellsbury, who got 30-30 and then did nothing to get close to it ever again. So it's I can definitely see him in the, in like the later part of his later part of his 20s just exploding having like a 30 100 and maybe like a 15 or 20 stolen base season that just puts him on the map and everybody overrates him for his next five years but yeah i i definitely agree with what you're saying yeah it's uh it's interesting for sure Uh, (laughs) let's talk about mookie a little bit because uh throughout this seven game winning streak uh mookie is still kind of Batting a little bit underwhelming with his bat lately. He's. I want to bring up the numbers um, so I have them in front of me, but Mookie has not been particularly hot since the break. Let's see. Mm-hmm. I've got his splits in front of me right now. Um, so through the second half so far of the season, he's batting two fifty eight uh, with just two home runs uh, and 16 RBI. So the Red Sox have gone on this streak right now without Mookie really contributing a whole lot Um, he hasn't seemingly gotten it going uh, like Mookie can uh, for the entire year what do you think is holding him back right now from kind of taking that next step because when you see that slash line 269 343 460 um, that's good but that's not Mookie yeah I I think there's a lot there Uh, he's trying he's pulling the ball a lot more this year uh, that much is kind of that much is a little bit obvious. He's not going opposite field a lot, but a lot of that is him starting to fish a lot. He's going for stuff lower in the zone, and he's kind of give, he's kind of giving it like an uppercut swing, but that's also popping a ton of stuff up. Like his infield, he's hitting a pop up 16% of the time, 
And last year he had 29 pop-ups all year. It's August 9th and he has 27. So it's – there's a lot – there. I think he's trying to get around on pitches low in the zone and he's just missing. And it's he's missing a lot more than I think he expected to. I mean he's got the power. He doesn't need to pull it. He can go anywhere with it. But I think he's really trying to tap into more of that power by going low in the zone and being able to golf it to left and especially in Fenway use the use the monster more. So it's – it's a weird adjustment period considering how good he was before July, but it, but we've it's been a but as the longer his kind of slump for him goes on, the more you, the more apparent his pop ups and his bad pitch selection becomes, and it's you can see him trying to adjust to stuff like that, but it's just it's tanking what it's tanking his numbers so badly, and he might need a few more days off just to clear his head every now and then. Yeah, I agree. I think that that is going to be important for him down the stretch because he's clearly a guy who's pressing right now. And um, even though he's got, you know, 4.2 war on fan graphs, I believe uh, baseball reference has him at 5.2. And I think we at Baseball Prospectus have him somewhere in the middle of those two. I think it's slightly higher uh, than the 4.2 from fan graphs. I, I looked it up this week. Um, he doesn't feel like he's having a good season. And um, I don't think Red Sox fans feel like he's having a good season, even though by war he's still the most valuable position player uh, on the diamond. So um, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not he can get that going. And I think that what Dave Dombrowski's deadline really was was largely a bet on the offense that the Red Sox currently have that their best days are yet to come because Jackie Bradley, Mookie Betts, Xander Bogarts, those are names that have all been really cold. Benintendi, too, you can throw him into that mix who haven't been hitting the ball all that well over the last month, and yet they still remain in first place. So it's easy to envision a scenario where uh, they get hot, like Mookie got hot in the second half last year and just kind of kind of carry this thing away. Um, do you think that the offense will be fine, or do you have some real concerns about this offense as it stacks up in a playoff series. You know, I guess envision yourself as a Red Sox fan watching this team against Corey Kluber or a Carlos <laughs> Carrasco uh, in the playoffs with this current lineup. Do you feel good or bad about that? I Honestly, I kind of feel good because this, line, this type of lineup, uh, it's going to have its hot and cold streaks. It's, it's a contact-dependent lineup. I think it has the highest contact rate in the ma- I think they have the highest contact rate in the majors. And against pitchers who are going to gun for the strikeout so much, I think they have the best chance of any given team against guys like Kluber, guys like Carrasco, guys like Keuchel. Um, but going forward, I I don't know if the ma- they're going to have to rely a lot on their young guys bouncing back. Like, what's weird is that we've just talked about Mookie and how much of a down year he feels he's having and we feel he's having. But he's still got a chance to get 25 homers and 25 steals. And he's kind of – and his peripherals are kind of saying he should be better than what he is. So there's something still there. Uh, Bogarts is coming back. Um, if they manage Pedroia – if they manage Pedroia well, because it sounds like his knee is going to be something that he's going to have to deal with until his career is over. Uh, I think him hitting again will be great. Um, if Hanley can actually keep, uh, stop fouling every other foul ball off the arch of his foot, I think he might actually hit again. Um, but it's there. He does I, really like to do that, though, doesn't he? It's like every other game, he mashes something off his foot. I'm like, how are your bones not dust, man? Um, it's, but yeah, I can. If they get hot again like they did last year, not like maybe white hot like they were in September, but if they get if they get hot, there's a bunch of second half guys in this team, and so if they get on that, if they get going again, I this team just kind of looks unstoppable because this is. Like the moment they got Chris Sale and got and traded Travis Saw, this team kind that was kind of a signal. This team was going to be led by pitching, and if they can have an offense that can support those pitchers in any given game, then this team's going to be scary, even if they go up against someone like the Astros or Dodgers. Yeah, I agree. And to answer your question about contact percentage, the Red Sox are currently uh, second. Uh, I'm sorry, third in the American League in contact oh. percentage behind the Astros and Indians, who are just slightly ahead of them. But, you know, I think that's telling in and of itself that the two teams ahead of them are uh, two teams that we expect to be 
uh, deep playoff teams there. And then the Pirates are ahead of them as well by 0.3%. Um, and the Pirates are a decent little offensive team, but not great by any stretch of the imagination. But I think most of the teams that are in this higher contact rate are pretty good teams. Although when you look at the bottom of this list, it's kind of fascinating because there's a good amount of success at the bottom. The Rockies, Diamondbacks, and Yankees are 23rd, 24th, and 25th. Uh, those are teams that clearly live and die by the long ball, um, which is something the Red Sox certainly don't do. No, it's it, we kind of wanted them to get actual home run power, but if they just get doubles power, then that's just as good because that fits Fenway to a T, you know? Like, Fenway, I was like, oh, yeah, it's a band box. They're going to hunt a ton of homers there. <clears throat> Adrian Gonzalez was supposed to hit a ton of homers here. He never really did. Well, it's, he had that one year, though. Oh, yeah, he had that one the, He had that one half year where he destroyed every pitcher that he faced. I, I distinctly remember a year, a uh, game in 2011, they were in Toronto, and he had two homers that went, like, 400-foot opposite field. I'm like, okay, where's that extension? Show it to me. I'll take it. Um, but uh, it was – but it was it's always been a doubles park it's it seems like if you're a high fly ball hitter that hits that pulls a lot and you're right-handed then yeah you're gonna get a lot more homers than usual but it's always gonna be a doubles park and getting a bunch of guys who can hit it off the wall a lot just hit it down the line just hit it in the gaps you don't need homers to win in Fenway Park they certainly help but if you're hitting a bunch of doubles and a bunch of your guys are young then at least in the short term you're still your offense is still gonna go crazy in the long term, if you're hitting a lot of doubles now, some of those will eventually turn into homers for your young guys. So it's there's optimism there. And even though this isn't the offense we like it was last year, which was insane, by the way, uh, there's it's it's not it's not a bad thing to not have a bunch of homers if you have a bunch of doubles instead. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, doubles are great. They're not as good as home runs, but we'll take them. Uh, yeah. This club has certainly shown to be very adept at hit, hitting doubles. Um, you know, Mitch Moreland, Mitchy Two Bags over there. Um, <laughs> but I'm looking at uh, Gonzalez's numbers right now because his age 29 and 30 seasons were played in Boston. And that first year that he came over, 2011, he had 27 home runs and finished with a war, uh, baseball prospectus war of 4.8. Um, and like I feel, I feel as though almost everybody in Boston was disappointed by that year because he had just finished two back-to-back uh, high seven WAR seasons with San Diego, um, and we're like, oh, this guy's going to be amazing. He's going to win the MVP, and then he comes over and just hits 27 home runs uh, while playing, you know, really well everywhere else. So uh, he, he batted 338, and we were pissed. <laughs> Fangraphs put him at 6.1. They saw a lot in him. I mean, it, it yeah, it, it does seem like underwhelming after in 2010 where he dragged the Padres like within the game of the playoffs, dropped them there, and it's like here, win a game, and they couldn't win a game. So it's it always it'll always seem disappointing because that's kind of when his power started to wane a little bit because he hit like 18 or 20 in the first half of 2011, and then I and then after the home. And then after the home run derby, I think he didn't hit one until like a season until like early August, and that was like a hard pull homer in Chicago. So, and obviously the ending of that kind of casts a shadow. Uh, ending of that season casts a shadow over everything people do in that season. But it it almost it just it will almost always seem disappointing considering what he did, and. And the the sky high expectations of them coming over because he was that one player at the turn of the decade that everybody wanted in Fenway because his swing would be so perfect for it. Mm-hmm. And it just once his power started kind of to teeter out a little bit, you're just like, oh well, there was a, there was some fun there, but that was about it. Yeah, there was a, an instance of a, another personality that didn't quite mesh with the Boston <laughs> market too. So. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's interesting, but um, interestingly enough, with his stats, the three thirty eight, four ten, five forty eight that he put up, uh, that was almost the career best slash line for him. It was a career best in batting average, on base percentage, uh, and it was his second best slugging of his career that he put up with Boston. So uh, interesting how we think of him. 
still yeah. after all these years. But let's talk about the current version of the Red Sox some more. Um, the pitching, as you mentioned, has been what the strength of this club has been. And Chris Sale continues to just do incredible things. Last night struck out, I think it was 13 guys uh, again, and he is currently uh, on pace to uh, break Pedro Martinez's record from 1999 which is i believe 19 games of double digit strikeouts um i don't think he'll challenge randy johnson's record which i believe is like 23 or something like that but to even be in the pedro of 99 discussion uh, and yet another category is uh, pretty amazing and i think that there was a pretty cool article that came out uh for 538 and i don't know if you had a chance to see this uh and i i wish i could pull the author's name but i can't remember right now uh who it was but they put chris sales season contextually against pedro martinez in other great seasons to see just how uh his strikeout rate compared to the league average strikeout rate for that season and chris sale is still having like a top 20 season in terms of what percentage better his strikeout rate was than the rest of the the league at that mm-hmm. point uh but pedro martinez and randy johnson uh, account for the top eight uh, seasons <laughs> of those such in 99 Pedro, which is the god of all pitching seasons yeah. uh, forever, um, is still like far and away the best percentage. But he, Kluber from this year, and Max Scherzer from this year are all having like top 25 strikeout uh, percentage type seasons in the history of baseball right now. Yeah, it's it's kind of a growing trend. Like we had the uptick in homers, but with the uptick in homers offensively, you had a bunch of strikeouts coming in. So it's you see all these really really good pitchers. You got Kluber, you got Scherzer, who's pro- who's running away at the NL Cy Young this year, probably. Maybe even the MVP. Who knows? Yeah, I mean this is I mean it's getting to that point where these pitchers are just so demonstrably great that MVP's got to be discussed with Sale and Scherzer. Um, but yeah, being in just being close to any just being close to 99 Pedro in any aspect is incredible. And Chris and Chris Sale doing it this year, you're like, oh, this is great. And then you realize you have two more years of Chris Sale for like eight million a year. So greatest trade ever. Oh my god! Like you don't even you don't even worry about Kopech being like somehow like being the best pitcher in the minor leagues now. You don't worry about Moncada like potentially becoming awesome because Chris Sale is going insane i mean i don't it's hard to say that the thing is what's scary is that he might replicate something like this it's insane that's how good he's pitching and how good of a pitcher he is and combine that with how good craig kimbrell has been and you get what you get last night you get eight innings of chris sale striking at everybody and then you get an inning of craig kimbrell just making sure nobody makes contact yeah it's 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 so awesome isn't it (laughs) Like, you have Sale's slider, which everybody swings at, and then you have Kimbrel's knuckle curve, which everybody swings at. And, like, how do people even make contact? How do professional baseball players who are paid to make contact and hit things do that against pitchers who do this? It's uh, it's insane. I thought it was really funny. So I was reading that Rick Hine was recently at uh, Sabre Seminar, and he was uh, being lauded for the prospect haul that he got in the sale trade. And it was apparently, like, kind of bummed out about it on stage he was like yeah like i take i take little joy in the fact that i traded chris sale and i'm looking at his baseball prospectus page right now and his wars since he has gone uh full-time as a starter so in 2012 when he threw 129 i'm sorry 192 innings pitched he's Mm -hmm. gone 5.4 5.6 5.1 6.2, 6.0, and this year already he's amassed 6.5 war. Uh, he is on pace for 8.1 war uh, for a pitcher. Um, so, yeah, this guy is squarely in the MVP conversation, especially if the Red Sox win the division. Um, this guy is having such a good year, and, and the trend there is overwhelmingly up. Like, you know, 5.4 where he started in 2012 – and he's at 6.5 now, and his last three seasons have been six or over. Um, so it's easy to imagine the next two seasons of Chris Sale being pretty freaking amazing too. Yeah, it's with and like it almost. This almost kind of seems like this season almost kind of seems like something Chris Sale was always building to. Uh, it's 
he was always a good pitcher. He was going to get a bunch of strikeouts, uh, lefties and righties. He was kind of almost, lefties and righties would swing at everything he threw. And it, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I won't say I, ex- I expected Chris Sale to be good when he got here, sure, but I didn't expect him to be. Oh, well, I didn't expect him to be first pitcher MVP since Justin Verlander. Great. So it's it's definitely been an adventure, and having and realizing that we have two more years of Chris Sale, in Boston is, it's like it's Christmas in August. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So the best season in recent memory for a pitcher, and I'm talking about like non-Johnson, non-Pedro recent memory, mm-hmm. is probably Kershaw's 2015, where he finished with an 8.3 war on baseball prospectus. Um, and Chris Sale is projected to be the closest pitcher to that mark um, since that time. So this is pretty rare air that he's putting himself in. His his projection for this year at 8.1 is better than anything that Scherzer has done, anything that Kluber has done, um, and everything except for that that Kershaw has done. It, yeah, I mean, lefties rule the world now, I guess. I mean, you've got Sale and Kluber dominating their respective leagues, and if Kluber or Kershaw dominating their respective leagues, case, man, they're everywhere. Um, but it's, I mean, I don't know how many superlatives I can put on Chris Sale at this point. He's just the best. That That's it. MVP, MVP. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, that's... I'm always I'm always kind of iffy with the pitcher for MVP thing. I think I'm still kind of uh, scarred from Ellsbury getting shafted in uh, 2011. I, like he was him not the Red Sox losing in 162 uh, was the reason he didn't get it. And I'm very I'm very I'm not budging from this hill. I will die on this hill. Like that was the reason he did not get it. And um, it's it just kind of sucks that Verlander did because. Ellsbury did everything that year. It was insane. What year did Verlander get that, by the way? What's up? What year did Verlander get the MVP? Was that 2014 or 2012? That was because he got it. 2011. Red Sox collapsed. Okay, so 2011. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He had an 8.3 war that year um, as a pitcher, which is Mm -hmm. equal to Kershaw's best season. Uh, And the following year, he had an 8.1. So, yeah, peak Verlander was pretty ridiculous yeah he was in like you wouldn't go a highlight reel about him without hearing that he could switch velocities like congrats but um <laughs> it's him was ridiculous 2011's just award season was ridiculous um i didn't like was that the year that helixon won rookie of the year because there were like no good rookies or something it was that it was, sounds right to me when he was with Rays. Yeah, yeah, and he had like and he had like a two twenty Babbitt against or something. It was crazy. Um, and pitcher MVPs always kind of put me off. I I don't know. It just it just seems like a guy who would play one hundred fifty five games would be more useful than one who starts every five or one uh every five days. So I I don't know if he gets MVP, uh, that'll probably mean he somehow he somehow stepped it up down the stretch, which I don't know how much more you can elevate from what he's done, but um, I I guess I wouldn't be against it if it's Chris Sale because this season is certifiably insane. Well, food for thought here. The the current MVP front runner is un- unquestionably Jose Altuve, being that Mike Trout, the god, uh, was out for a period of time this year. Uh, and Altuve is on pace for 6.6 baseball prospectus war this year, uh, which oh. is pretty sizably under what uh, Chris Sale is on pace for. Chris Sale already has 6.5. Um, so, yeah, I guess, I guess that argument is legit. I mean, I, I agree. I think that a guy like Altuve impacts the game more because he's in there every single day. But we have seen uh, over the past few playoffs and – you know, we've seen playoffs through history that it is the ace that that shines uh, when yeah. when the lights go on. And what Kluber did last year, and uh, what we saw from Lester and Arietta and all those other guys. I mean, yeah, pitchers rule the world. So <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty cool. Um, so here's a question for you, um, as we are moving towards wrapping this show up because we are going a little long. But I want to talk a little bit more about pitching because I love it. Okay. Um, who would be your number two uh, in the playoffs if the Red Sox were starting 
playoffs today? Ooh, it's it's gonna come between Pomerantz and Price, obviously. But oh, man, that's a tough one. Um, considering, oh man, that, it's their stats are so close together. It's scary. Um, but I think I'd have to go with Price because Price, even with his bad postseason resume has in his entire career been a better pitcher and more reliable pitcher than Pomeranz. And he was pitching well this year. I mean, Price was doing really well. Um, and Pomeranz is great, but he has a propensity for really nuclearly, nuclearly bad starts. Uh, like he'll give up like one or two homers. Uh, what was it in that White Sox start? He gave up a bomb to Tim Anderson and that's okay. That's bad. He always has that. I always tell my friend that he always has that token homer he has to give up every game. Yep. And uh, But he did well after that. I mean, it is the White Sox, but Pomerantz did well after that. But I think I'd really – if Price comes back the same and starts returning a bit more to his, like, peak form, I think I'd have to go with him even with the bad postseason resume. Yeah, it's a difficult choice. Um, if Price is throwing the ball like he was right before he went on the DL for the last time, I think – you probably just based on pedigree uh, give it to Price there, um, but when you when you look at the numbers for this year by DRA and CFIP and uh, all of those fun metrics that we like here at Baseball Prospectus, Pomerantz has certainly been the better guy, and I think that his swing and miss stuff has been a little bit better this year, and certainly he's been the more consistent player health wise. Um, so I don't know, it's it's tough. I, I think that. Both of those guys, if healthy, Pomerantz and Price, are certainly going to be there ahead of Porcello, even though he won the Cy Young Award last year. Uh, pretty clear to me that Porcello uh, still has some real issues that he needs to iron out here and that he might not be a huge factor in whatever playoff series uh, comes up um, if his performance doesn't improve. What do you think about that? I he might just yeah he might just kind of fall out because he's been what was it he someone said he might be the one of the first players to ha- ever have a twenty win season and then turn it into a twenty loss season the the year afterwards but it's it's kind of tough to see him like this because he's giving up a ton of dingers like everything else is super efficient like he's not even walking two guys per nine he's just giving up so many homers it's. It's just frustrating because you know he's better than that, and he's just kind of getting—he's just kind of getting uh, the pent-up bad luck that never really affected him last year. So it's—I—it'd be because as your fourth starter, which you won't really have to worry about in the playoffs until you get to the championship series anyway. It's really—it'd be kind of hard to argue him over, like to argue him against Eduardo Rodriguez. Even if Eduardo's been kind of meh with all the Homer issues too, it's really kind of hard to see which one you'd want to choose. I guess it would depend on the po- your opponent at that point. But I don't know. He might. Porcello is looking. If he doesn't like get the Homers squared away, he's kind of looking like a bull, like a long arm in the bullpen. Um. So three lefties is kind of tough though. That the, yeah. the Red Sox would be going with in a playoff rotation, and you'd be looking for a right-hander there. And it's clear that, like you said, these home run issues have been really, really bothering Porcello the entire year. I'm going to throw something crazy out here Mm -hmm. um, because I think that Eduardo, as another lefty in the bullpen, would be quite a weapon in the playoffs. But if Doug Fister continues to pitch very well down the stretch, and he's clearly figured some things out mechanically, Mm-hmm. What do you think about a Doug Fister as a fourth guy in a playoff rotation? To me, that's just kind. Of, to me, that a result like that, even if he pitches well, is kind of like a suboptimal result at the end of uh, the season. Like you're you're going in with pitching, you have this good starting rotation with Sale, Price, and Pomeranz, and you did say the lefties thing, but Sale is kind of. I guess I. I have to look into it more, but he, but with what he's done this year, he's kind of, I, platoon advantage proof, I guess. Very much so, yeah. So he, even if he's a lefty, it's not going to be, <clears throat> he's not going to be someone 
that you worry about righties hitting him because one, if a guy has if a, there's a right-handed bench bat on a team, usually that guy is going to hurt that team because if he's right-handed and he only hits lefties, then there's not much else he's probably going to do on a 25-man roster. So it's going to hurt the team putting him out there more than he actually more than he's usually going to hurt the pitcher throwing against him. So that is kind of a that kind of works in the Red Sox favor since especially when it comes to sale. And with Pomeranz and Price, things kind of get a little bit dicey there. I'll agree with you. Uh, but when it comes to like a bunch of lefties starting and then Doug, the idea of Doug Fister, Doug Fister pitching, like what I said, Doug Fister pitching well isn't something you obviously want. But if he if he does continues to do well and stops scaring the shit out of me every time he leaves a sinker high, <laughs> um, I, it would be, I wouldn't be against it. But I'd also just be sitting with like my face and my with my uh, hand on my chin, just like how did we get to this point? You know, when I used to draft Doug Fister in uh, in in all of my fantasy leagues, because I really liked Doug Fister for a long time, I used to call him the Whirling Fist. That was my nickname <laughs> for him. So I think uh, I think the Whirling Fist still has uh, still has some some tricks up his sleeve. Did you see the nicknames on the back of the jerseys that they came up with? <laughs> just fist. it's just fist <laughs> which is really uh incredible so one of one of my favorite nicknames i think my favorite ones were fist um and then big smooth for drew pomerance in dirty craig for craig Kimbrell. i do like the robbie ross jr lawnmower one yeah that's a good one that's, that's a really one. good one <laughs> i i wish brock did the uh the uh, hands in the air emote instead of Brockstar, but I understand Brockstar. That's fine. But if he did the hands in the air emote thing instead of that, I would, I would buy that instantly. I, I'd be in debt for the rest of my life if that's what it meant. I'd buy that. So where are you on Price's Astros dad? <laughs> I think he just kind of went vanilla with it. It was super he vanilla. Wanna, he doesn't want to really piss off anybody else or do anything inflammatory. So he's just like, hey, you know what? I'm just my dog's dad. Let's go with that. Why not? You know what was messed up about that, though? The dude has two kids. <laughs> the dude just had a kid. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, at that point, you, you're you a real human's dad, two of them. You got to you gotta think about that. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know how his wife feels about Astro's dad, but that's what he's going with. Um, husband or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sound oh, I- husband. Responsible dad. <laughs> i should have just went with not a jerk yeah right <laughs> i'm surprised thornburg got one in it's just thorny i'm like how many of those do you think that's gonna sell i wonder i mean like it's there's that and then you have xander bogarts it's just x that, I like that. Just, there you go not x-man just x and honestly if he does if they don't play dmx every time he comes out in that jersey then it, there's they're missing a huge opportunity come on yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, there are really no uh, super unique ones on the team. I think like Stickman um, yeah. is is sort of interesting. Why Noah for uh, for I, three? I don't know. I honestly don't know that one. Like it's Sandy, it's Sandy Leone. I can't. I can't tell you. Yeah. I really. Like, oh man. And then you have like Matt Barnes going with Barnacles. Which is the least terrifying name I have ever heard for a major league pitcher. Like, oh no, don't stick to my <clears throat> underwater metal post. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's... And then you got Drew Pomeranz, big smooth. Like, I've seen his face when he pitches. There's nothing smooth about his face. I. Mm, mm. You know what he should have gone with? Human oh. thumb. <laughs> he looks like a human thumb. He, he really does. He is the pitcher version of a human thumb. The. The batter version, obviously, being uh, <laughs> Schwarber. So okay, yeah, I see that. He's a human thumb with a with a soul patch. That's that, that's only the difference there. He could have but... been a thumb right next to fist. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> you have thumb and fist warming in the bullpen. They're just doing they're just doing their uh, warm up throws. Oh, really? Now, okay. <laughs> but uh, these these are fun. I. <laughs> I thought Joe Kelly would go with something else, honestly. I feel Sorry, like Kelly. I feel like he had a creative name in there somewhere, but either it was too risque or he couldn't show it to kids. That seems like something very Joe Kelly. So <laughs> Have you seen the um 
the Tampa Bay jerseys oh, yet? Do we know if Corey Dickerson went with C. Dick? Oh my god, of course he did. <laughs> he must have. I know that Felipe Rivera went with Nightmare, which was the favorite one that I've seen so far. Ooh, that one's good. That one's really good. The, the, the funniest part about Corey Dickerson is that he, like, he's obviously gone off this year, and every time, every time there's a dinger, it's all you see are tweets that just say C. Dick Dong. I'm like, oh, yeah, all right, sure. <laughs> go with that and then somebody asked like oh what did the rays do and obviously the only respectable answer i would respond with is they slapped some dongs all in a row (laughs) it's just fun stuff like this and this is something i think the thing emily kind of needed it's really just kind of fun yeah it is uh and it's it's a really good move by uh major league baseball to Put a little XFL in our lives uh, by by allowing these names on the Vaxxed jerseys. So I wish the Red Sox had done something a little bit more creative. I was kind of looking for a better one, but I might just have to pick up a fist jersey. That that one is that one I looked at. I'm like, I I, I actually have to consider because I wouldn't buy anything Doug Fister, but then he comes out with this, and I'm just like, <laughs> oh man, that one's a tough one. Oh geez, <laughs> it's, it's great. It, it's either that or just the straight up Benny one. Yeah. I'm glad he just went with Benny and not like many biceps or something. Just Benny. Yeah, Benny's just... sweet. That's a yeah. good one. Um, that one you can wear to picnics and shit, and not exactly. not get in trouble. Um, it's, it seems like that's a jersey you'd wear like when you're playing like on the Sandlot or just stickball in the street or something. It's just Benny. Just you're just like one. You're just like one of those kids from the Sandlot that got one of his own personalized jerseys. You automatically get transported back in time. Yeah. It's like Stranger <laughs> Things as soon as you put that jersey on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's close out the show with this. Let's let's remember um, the Tuesday, August first, twelve to ten win over the Cleveland Indians. Hashtag turning point in the season. Um, this game was so awesome in every yeah. single way possible. I was watching the game and I was so stoked for a good pitching performance. I was like talking to my wife. I'm like, ah, oh, it's it's Carlos Carrasco and Chris Sale. She's like, yeah, that's nice, honey. Whatever. Um, <laughs> and I turn on the game and I start just like pulling my hair out right away. I'm like, ah, oh, oh, Chris Sale, he's getting hit. What's going on? What's going on? And then Carrasco starts getting hit. And then what? What do you know? I just keep watching the baseball game and I keep being rewarded. It just goes off. It's, yeah, like, like you have the, you have possibly the best catch of the season in Austin Jackson, and then you and then you have like the Red Sox coming down from five nothing in the top of the second, and then relinquishing and then uh, it and then just goes all, it just goes crazy from there. You have like the Indians hitting four homers, one in the top of the ninth against Craig Kimbrell from Francisco Lindor who has been kind of mad this year. And you're just like, oh, great. They're just going to blow it again. And then they give up the and then they give up the lead because Austin Jackson got a – because Austin Jackson was at bat and he – there was a wild pitch. Yeah. Oh, man. It was – jeez. This game was just a roller coaster. I was so impressed by that Francisco Lindor hit because that fastball high up in the zone and it was kind of outside too um, at 99 miles an hour – like, I don't know how many players in baseball could have caught up to a ball at that height, that far outside, at that speed. Just leave it to the Indians, man. They seem to have the prospect. They seem to have the pro- a prospect to do every single every single one of the hard things in baseball. It's ridiculous. Like play shortstop, that's pretty damn hard. Oh, here's a wonder kid prospect who also hits for power. Cool. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> I think that Jose Ramirez is arguably as good or better than Francisco Lindor as well. Oh yeah, I, I can I can definitely hear that argument. He's been insane this year. I'd, I I have had he mostly I mostly gotten this I mostly paid attention to him because he's on like my league leading fantasy team and it's been an incredible ride. So it he's been insane. Lindor, even though he hasn't been good, is always insane. Then you even had like. You have Edwin a gremlin Turner. going on over there? What's going on? Oh, that's my cat. Is, my, is that your cat? Or, yeah, that's my cat. <laughs> that's my cat sharing in my happiness, I guess. But um, He remembers the wind fondly as well. Yeah, he had to hide in the other room while we were cheering. Um, 
But it was just an insane game. Like, you had Edwin Encarnacion hitting one to the moon. Uh, you had Eduardo Nunez going absolutely crazy. You had uh, Mitch Moreland finally breaking out of his slump. And then you obviously have Christian Vasquez, who I always say is due for a massive homer every year. And he, I thought he already had one earlier in the season against the Twins. And then he hits this absolute rocket that just is so reminiscent of the one Hanley hit last year. Ugh, my that game was just crazy. I if that's not game of the year, I don't know what is. Honestly, yeah, that was just insane. It's hard to envision a game being better than that. I mean, we saw hits off of not only two aces, but the two closers and uh, Andrew Miller, who promptly went on the DL after that because of his bruised ego. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it was his knee. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's it's awesome. The Red Sox, like I said, seven-game win streak. Uh, they go against Tampa tonight, uh, Porcillo versus Orderizzi. Then they have the three-game set with the Yankees, followed by Cleveland, uh, just for one makeup game, followed by two versus St. Louis, Yankees again in another huge series, and then a huge four game set against Cleveland. So for the next, the rest of August almost, aside from that last week of August, is going to be some pretty intense baseball here. Um, but the really good thing is that the Red Sox have set up their rotation such that we're going to get Chris Sale on Sunday, August 13th versus the okay. Yankees. We're going to get Chris Sale on Saturday, August 19th uh, versus the Yankees. And then we're going to get Chris Sale on Thursday, August 24th versus Cleveland. So that is all real good stuff. Yeah, I was hoping they would actually get Fester out of that start in New York because that, that just seems like a disaster waiting to happen. But So with that extra off day they have, they have tomorrow, it really helps them out that Sale starting on a Sunday night baseball game, no less. So we'll see if he actually pitches well on primetime this time <laughs> yeah well we'll keep our fingers crossed for sure i'm definitely going to be going to one of those games in the upcoming yankees series at fenway on the uh that three game set in late august so um i'll i'll try and report back every all of my findings <laughs> and see if the uh, rivalry is alive i've already been to one rivalry game this year but uh, that one i'm looking forward to quite a bit so uh anything else you want to add in before we get out of here no, I mean, that was – we went over almost everything that made us happy in the last week, and I can't ask for a better time. <laughs> exactly. It's always good when we can do that. So if you enjoyed the show, you can go out and subscribe to it. You can go on iTunes uh, or Stitcher or Google Play Music or any of those and subscribe to us. That way it, this podcast will show up right to your phone without you having to do anything. If you enjoyed it, you can rate and review us on those. Rating us uh, really does help us out, so we appreciate that. Um, you can find us on Twitter. You can find Brett at B.A. Cowett, I believe. Is that correct? Yep, that's yep. right. And you can find me at, at Dev Jake. Uh, and we will be with you next week at our regularly scheduled time. So thank you for being with us today. Appreciate the download. And we'll be back with you next week.